0: For me this is an intensely personal experience. Uh, I have lived this era. My my grandfather was quoted in the previous session. He was the editor and publisher of the Roundup record. And he was the one who said that women shouldn't play cards, that they should support the war effort. He was also the one who said that IWW stood for I Won't Work. He joined, he was a member of the Muscle Shell militia that went down <clears throat> went to Butte to put down a strike. Uh, he he was a very loyal American, hauled before the Colony Council of defense for suspected pro-Germanism having been turned in by his brother-in-law. <laughs> yeah, so uh, this is something I've known from my family being on the wrong side of things and as a re- result of my own experience of, of um, studying Bill Dunn who literally transformed my life and opened my eyes and uh, made me into the person who I am and uh, at the time how I, how I came to the topic was I took tools class history, I was a history major and he talked about this guy who was buried in the, hall, in the walls of the Kremlin Tool was an excellent tour. if the Kremlin is in Scottsdale, Arizona. He got it right. Uh, Actually, uh, he he did become a prominent communist and uh, knew Stalin and and was booted unceremoniously out of the party. We've been hearing for the last two days about the power of of suppression and uh, what interests me is that I had the opportunity to study someone who stood up to this and uh, refused, I mean you can, we've heard how people were cowed and threatened no, not done he, he was going to be in their face, he was not going to be intimidated, so who is this guy? Uh, I mean, I, I was just reading uh, Matt Tiabi's uh, recent work on, uh, well, published in, in the Rolling Stone, and it's uh, The Madness of Donald Trump. So my God, Dunn could have written that. <laughs> it's, it's the same same vituperative, aggressive, uh, no holes barred kind of writing. And also, before I was coming down here, I looked at, at uh, the feed I get from the New York Review of Books. There's an, uh, uh, an essay written when dissent became treason. It's about this whole thing that we're meeting on. I'm I'm so happy that the uh, uh, Historical Society has brought us to this uh, this opportunity to look at this because I mean it changed me uh, as a young man and uh, no one shared, no one cared. As a matter of fact the Historical Society turned down my publication. It was later published by the Pacific Northwest Quarterly on this topic Tool said, ah, oh, they're just controlled by the company, you write them back and tell them so and they wrote me back and said, yeah, your article wasn't any good anyway <laughs> it was published <laughs> so I've lived this in, in, in my essence and, uh, and we'll see a little bit about done uh, he was absolutely unintimidated, and who was this guy? He was Irish, above all. He had a French-Canadian mother, but, but he, he was uh, a son of an Irish immigrant, and he grew up in Minnesota. He was an educated person. He finished high school. He went to uh, college at St. Thomas College for one year, and then in, in uh, 1907, Uh, the depression said made him go to work and he came to Montana and started to work uh, obviously doing an apprenticeship to become an electrician his family was very left-wing there were seven boys one girl in that family four of the boys went on into left-wing politics three of them ended up being prominent in the Socialist Workers Party having left the Communist Party and they went on to lead the Minneapolis general strike, which the Communist Party sent Bill Dunn out to break. Uh, and he never spoke to his brothers after that. So th- this, it was in his blood, uh, this left-wing politics. He was physically powerful. He was a prize fighter. He fought 25 fights. Uh, and so he, he couldn't be intimidated intellectually or physically. Uh, he was a trade unionist and the interesting part of his trade unionism is he started out in, in with the IBEW, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, a craft union an AFFL union, and a union that was really strongly opposed to industrial unionism. Uh, so he was a skilled tradesman, a member of the Socialist Party, uh, believed, wasn't a, not a wobbly he did not believe in direct action uh, as a socialist they believed in electoral politics Dunn went up to Canada in uh, after he left Montana he was working on the railroad up by Paradise and, and moved around a lot went up to Canada and was a, a rep for the IBW up there as an organizer in a local union rep uh, so he was a, a Marxist, uh, working class, intellectual. I mean, the, from my perspective, the ideal kind of person who should be on the left. I mean, he wasn't importing uh, his ideology, and, and he, he was up from American roots as, as, as shallow as they were. But he had a very good reading of Marx. You read his stuff, and, and he, he didn't get Marx wrong. He really understood it, and I'm a little bit of a student of Marx myself. So he was a journalist, he was a labor leader, he was a speaker, he was a politician, uh, at a time where all those things were really dangerous to be in Butte, Montana. And in the Butte context, uh, when he arrived from a Marxist perspective perspective it was exactly everything that he believed that was happening right there and he could see it uh, on a daily basis. Monopoly capital ruled the place. The Rockefellers controlled ACM, uh, they controlled the the economy completely of the entire state, the media, the courts, the cops, the military, the security system, J. Edgar Hoover got uh, a a bit of a start looking after the likes of, of Dunn Uh, They controlled the thugs. They controlled the politics of both parties in in the state of Montana as well as Butte. So at the state, federal, county, and local level, uh, it it was the ACM that that ran things. And their orientation was maximization of profit, just just as Mark said, at, at all costs. Uh, and copper prices were high, and this was the time that they could really make their money. Inflation was really good for them, and they managed to hold down wages while copper prices soared. And they were out to suppress anyone who, in any way, threatened what was in their interest. And they were ready to fight and use any means to do so, uh, including murder. So, uh, Dunn will also face this wave of patriotism that we're seeing with the with the council of defense and, and 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 the copper press whipping up antagonism towards anything that was on the left. This hyper patriotism at the and I don't I read this and and I did not write it down and I, I can't be quoted on it but. It was a claim that the Anaconda Company was selling copper to the Germans. And, and, and I believe it, but, but, uh, but uh, you know, there's money to be made. If, if you've got I, IBM dealing with the Germans during the Second World War, why can't, can't the Anaconda Company sell copper? Uh, and then, the, then along comes the Russian Revolution. Well, what, what's that mean to a Marxist in Butte in 1917? I mean, it's, it's all coming together. So he, he sees this as his chance because it completely fit his analysis and he's moving away from, from the socialist uh, in, into a little bit more radical position. On top of this is a speculator mine disaster where, where 164 guys are killed. And out of that emerges another thing that have liked a lot, the metal mine workers union, an industrial union. So, Dunn gets involved in that strike. What's a strike over? It's not over radical things. They want to improve wages, they want to get rid of the wrestling card system. The wrestling card system was a system by which if you wanted a job in the Butte District, you had to go to the company and they had to certify that you weren't a radical Once you had the wrestling card, you could get a job. And they were concerned about safety. Safety wages and, and, and access to jobs. IWW was there but I mean they were there uh, as they, they had a presence but they, they weren't they weren't doing much except talking. Frank Little gets himself killed uh, because he speaks out by, by un, undoubtedly company gunmen and who, who's leading the march ahead of the casket down uh, the streets of Butte to to the place where he's interred Dunn who gives the eulogy Dunn so so Dunn is a pretty high uh, profile person in Butte and after the murder of of uh, little Dunn has the authority to carry a uh, a concealed weapon which he uses somebody jumps out of an alley and and, and he gets off shots at him and, and, and I've also documented when they're coming back from Anaconda, a bunch of gunmen come up. But Dunn Dun has his own thugs. So uh, the, the, he was protected physically. But his whole goal was to build solidarity. So during that strike, what does he do? One of the beautiful things about the timing of this at the time of the speculative mine disaster and the emergence of the uh, the metal mine workers union, Dunn was leading a strike against Montana Power Company uh, in Butte. So what's Dunn do? Everything in his power to bring in the other craft unions to support the strike and to, and to extend the strike and support the strike for the uh, metal mine workers union. Much to the uh, dismay of Samuel Gompers and a guy named McNulty, who's head, head of the IBW, they don't want th- to be involved in this left-wing politics. N- I mean, that, they're really uh, conservative craft unionists, but not as long as Dunn's in charge. So they, they send people out to make sure that that strike doesn't go on too long, and Dunn does everything in his power to keep the strike going. Uh... So building solidarity is is what he wants to do, and and he manages to do that a little while, but the strike fizzles out. Uh, People people have to feed their families. And then as a result of that, the Butte Daily Bulletin emerges. And uh, with with the support and financial of of, of Burton K. Wheeler and some of his left-wing lawyer friends, but that becomes the platform for the, for Dunn to propound his views, and he he goes after the company, he goes after the council of defense. He talks about Marxism, he talks about the revolution, he talks about the Winnipeg General Strike. I mean, he's on a high that 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 was unbelievable. So uh, solidarity, attacking the company, and. Starting up a newspaper at a time that you're not supposed to start up new news new newspapers The Montana Council of defense is so proclaimed didn't they Chuck? <laughs> I got that one right at least somebody agrees with me uh, so uh, As a result of this he gets uh, charged with sedition and as Chuck points out a uh, uh, will Campbell it was his persecutor and he stands up to them and he stands up to the judge he has nothing but contempt for the for the judge who it seems has fought in the Civil War on on uh, for the south so, someone who really is in favor of slavery whether it's for blacks or for wage slaves he doesn't accept it but it was a kangaroo uh, court and the, the the jury or the, the verdict was turned down, uh, w- was reversed. In addition to that, Dunn goes into electoral politics. He was almost elected mayor of Butte. Uh, in, in, in how, how he was almost elected is just amazing, g- given the forces arrayed against him. He was elected to the state legislature and uh, defeated the next time uh, he ran again two years later. So, Dunn had political ambitions. He had all kinds of ambitions, and what happened was that uh, the people uh, who were watching this fight—this is a high-profile fight nationally—they're uh, that watching it out of New York. And, and the the people who headed up the Communist Labor Party said, "Come on, Dunn, you come back to New York, and and we'll see what we can do with you." And he was a founding co-editor of The, the Daily Worker. Uh, I, I was an admirer of Dunn to the point where he joins the Communist Party and then then he becomes part of uh, the Stalinist uh, regime that, that, that wrecked American communism.
1: But anyway, that,
0: that's a thumbnail sketch of someone I regard as a hero. Thank you.